Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our walk through the Gospel of Mark, and today is the day we've been leading up to. Every single text we've read, every message we've talked about has been focused on answering this question. Who is Jesus? The first part of the Gospel of Mark is solely focused on the singular question, who is Jesus? And the second part of the Gospel of Mark is focused on the second question, why is Jesus? But why did Jesus come? What, why, what is Jesus' purpose? Today's the turn. Today's the twist. Today marks the end of the first part of the Gospel of Mark and the beginning of the second part. From here on out, the stakes get higher and the conflict gets bigger. And the journey becomes from Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem to Jesus' death, his resurrection, and our life. First, first the question, then the twist, and then the implication. Our text, Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You're the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about them. And he then began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do, not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely, merely human concerns. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world that forfeit their soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words of this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. From the first part of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been healing every sickness and disease and illness and ailment. He's been defeating evil like a boss. He's been teaching like no other prophet has ever come before him. And so he asks his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, you're kind of like everyone else who's come before you. You're kind of like, you're kind of like that. It's far short. And so then Jesus asks the most important question that has ever been asked and will ever be asked. Who do you say that I am? 
It's the most important question ever since 30 AD, around 30 AD, till 2019 today, 2,000 years. The most important question ever is this. Who is Jesus? And let's face it, you've been asked a lot of important questions before, right? Would you like to take this job and move? Are you going to move to Colorado or not? Will you marry me? Those are big questions. And none are bigger than this one. Who is Jesus? Peter gets it right. And then he gets it really wrong. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for for centuries, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when God promised that one would come. One would come to defeat Satan. One would come to redeem God's people. One would come to save. One would arrive. And Peter says, that's you. You're the one we've been waiting for. And then Jesus introduces the twist. He says, the Son of Man God in the flesh must suffer, must be rejected, and must die. But why? Have you ever asked that, yourself that question? If you've grown up in the church all your life, you probably haven't asked yourself that question. But if you haven't, if you're kind of new or just checking things out, it's a good question. My son and I were talking, uh, my son David, he's in college, and he says to me, he goes, Dad, I have this friend who's a theology major, and she thinks that Jesus did not have to die. So what do I say, Dad? What's, what does that mean? It's a good question. It's a fair question. We talked about where his friend was coming up from, and he said, well, she thinks that it's, it's kind of, um, if God is love, why would God demand a sacrifice? If, uh, if God is love, why would Jesus have to die? I mean, isn't it a little, it's a little archaic, isn't it? A little sacrifice. It's a little, little ancient. We're kind of more in touch these days than back then, right? And so we're talking about why Jesus had to die. Because it says a lot about who Jesus is and about carrying our own crosses today. So first is this. Jesus' sacrifice is a legal necessity. It's a legal necessity. What I mean is this. Let's say you have some friends over for the football game, right? Let's say we're watching the Broncos. And let's say your friend is sitting on your couch holding your remote control. And let's say, just hypothetically speaking, the Broncos get called for another holding penalty. <laughs> hypothetically speaking, right? And your friend is so furious, right? He's like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And as he says this, the remote control flies out of his hand, smacks into your flat screen TV, and shatters the screen. You have a choice. <laughs> you could say... Um, That'll be $500, please, right? You could say that, right? Or you could say, you know what? It's an accident. Don't worry about it. You're forgiven. Either way, there's a cost. 
Either you're carrying the cost or your friend is carrying the cost. But there's always a cost. <clears throat> and the debt is much larger when it's not money. When someone lies about you at work and damages your reputation, your good name, there's a cost, right? There's a loss of, of happiness. There's a loss of security at your job. There's a loss of reputation. There is a cost. And now you have a choice. You can try to make the other person pay, right? You could say things about that other person, like, oh yeah, you gotta hear this. This is what they did last year. You can try to make them pay by tearing down their reputation and their good name. The problem is this. As you're making that person pay off the debt, as you're making them suffer, you're becoming like that person. Your heart is becoming harder and colder and evil wins. So what can you do? Well, you can, you can forgive that person. You can refrain from carrying out vengeance. And when you forgive, it's agony. There's still a cost. It's just that now you're carrying it. And forgiveness is like that because you're absorbing the cost of someone else's sin. You're relinquishing your right for vengeance. Instead, you're carrying the cost of forgiveness. The debt does not vanish. It does not just disappear. Forgiveness doesn't work like that. There's always a cost. It's either they're going to pay or you're going to pay. And so, if you make them pay, the cycle of vengeance just keeps on going. If you forgive, there's a chance at reconciliation. And so it should come at no surprise that God decides the only way to forgive the sins of the entire human race is to carry the cost and to suffer and to die. So Jesus' sacrifice is a legal necessity. It's also a cosmic necessity. Jesus sheds his blood because it's the ultimate price. It's the ultimate price. And we all know that deep down. You, know, you watch a movie and, and someone sacrifices a steak for someone else. You're like, oh, that was nice. Maybe sacrifices a really good donut for someone else. You're like, wow, that's very, that's very giving. You give your life, that's love. And Jesus uh, does not have his life taken from him. He's not killed by some murderous mob. But rather, he, he suffers under the hands of those who are supposed to protect him, the leaders of his day, both Jews and Gentiles, which means we are all guilty. And that the strongest power someone can hold over you is the power of life or death. And that happens in this world sometimes. And Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the grave so that you might know that you have nothing to fear. The sting of death is gone. That the very worst thing that can happen to you in this life opens the door to the very best thing. 
A few chapters ago in, in Mark, uh, Jesus is walking to the home where this little girl has died. And he goes into the house and finds this little girl lying there. And he says these beautiful words in Aramaic, Talitha Kum, which means, little girl, get up. Rise and shine, honey. Jesus dies and rises so that one day you could hear those awesome words. And my prayer is that at the end of a long life, because I think Jesus has still stuff for me to do, but at the end of a long life, and I take my last breath, the first words I hear from Jesus saying, Chase, get up. You're home. Jesus' death is a legal necessity. It's a cosmic necessity. It's also a personal necessity. Here's the thing. We all crave love. Every single one of us. Uh, we crave a love and, and being loved. It's one of our, it's, it's our deepest need. But the challenge is this. No one is actually capable of giving full, complete, whole, unconditional love. None of us. And the reason being is because we need it so badly, right? So we need it so badly that we tend to love people we think are gonna be good at loving us in return and filling up our, our value and our worth. And so that oh, there's always some sort of, there's a fear attached with love. There's a risk attached with love. And there's a bit of a conditionalness attached to love. For each and every one of us, sometimes there's a lot of conditionalness, but sometimes all of us, there's a little bit because we need it so badly. So what we really need is someone, someone who could love us with no expectation in return. Someone who could love us completely and wholly and unconditionally. That's what we need. Someone like that. Someone like Jesus. That's who we need. We need someone like Jesus because that's what Jesus does. And this is the cool thing. When you're loved like that, it fills up your value, it fills up your worth, and it makes you more willing and more able to risk. So lady, she put in a letter this way to a good friend. She wrote this. See if you fall in this category. A major issue in my life has been people-pleasing. You don't have to raise your hand. But I needed approval. I needed to be liked, admired, and accepted. But for the first time, I was able to see how important it was that I identified with Christ. His love enabled me to set up emotional boundaries with people that I never could before. This has enabled me to love my friends and family for who they are and not seek more from them because I can find whatever is lacking in Christ. It's been a huge relief to finally feel free enough to love people and know that in Christ I am safe and protected and that protecting myself or standing up for myself is actually a good thing. When that type of love fills you up, it, it makes you less needy, less transactional. And you're more able to really start to love like Jesus. 
and to forgive like Jesus. Which brings us to the next thing Jesus said. If you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross. Pick up your device of execution. Follow me. And thank God in, in North America, that does not mean follow Jesus and your faith might, you know, have you be killed. It's a possibility in North Africa, Middle East, China, North Korea, to a lesser extent, Cuba. It's a possibility there. Not so much here. That's good. But what it does mean, it means to carry the cost of forgiveness. This past week, uh, I saw the best example of forgiveness that I've seen in a long, long time. I'd like to share the video with you. Before, I, I made a mistake. Before we start, we'll pause the video real fast. I apologize. Um, this is a testimony. It's um, a victim, victim statement testimony. This is a, a man. Uh, his brother was murdered uh, down in Texas by a woman who went to the wrong apartment and thought someone was breaking into her apartment, so she shot the guy. And um, she's been sentenced for murder. And this is the uh, victim's brother on the stand. Go ahead. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just... Christ. 
I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. supreme example of love and sacrifice that makes something like that possible. And that is why the Son of Man came and must suffer and must be rejected and must die. And for our sakes, for your sake, for your life today and every single day, must rise again. 